0: The guys that do direct-to-tape are my heroes because they're they're champions of, of the <laughs> yeah. art. Or live, yeah. I would never be able to do live radio. I'd like trip over my tongue 14 times.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining Andrew and myself today are Vanya Wolf and James Dankert, uh, who are researchers in the, their respective psychology departments. The reason that we have them joining us today is to talk about a paper that they published on the role of boredom in endurance sport. And uh, reading this paper, I had kind of a meta moment because uh, I was reading about self-control and boredom and its effects on, uh, on well, sports performance, but also the ability to pay attention. And as I was reading this, this paper, which wasn't, you know, terribly dense or anything, but it was a scientific uh, piece of work, which requires quite a bit of attention. It was, a, it was quite an experience because as I was learning about these, these elements, I was experiencing them in the moment. So I'm very excited to have uh, these two researchers on our show. I will do a quick introduction of the two of them and then uh, I will ask them to plug any of, the, um, any of the holes in their bios that I may have missed uh, and uh, we will take it away from there. Wanya received his PhD in psychology from the University of Potsdam in Germany and is now a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Konstanz in Germany. Uh, His research interests focus on psychological, neuronal, and physiological aspects of self-regulated performance. Currently, he's particularly interested in the role of boredom and self-control in the context of sports and exercise behavior. In his free time, he's an avid cyclist and runner, and he really hopes his research will be of direct help in cycling. And so we hope that as well, Vanya, because that's uh, obviously a keen interest to both Andrew and myself and our listeners. And uh, James is trained in uh, clinical neuropsychology, and he was trained in Australia, where he also earned his PhD. He moved to Canada to pursue research and held a Canada Research Chair in Cognitive Neuroscience at the University of Waterloo where he's currently the professor in the psychology department. His research interests are in boredom, attention, and the consequences of stroke and mental model updating. He recently co-authored with John Eastwood the book Out of My Skull, The Psychology of Boredom. His days of glory in the sporting field are long behind him, but he still enjoys cross-country skiing and a game of squash now and then. James, Vanya, thank you so much for your time and welcome to the show.
2: Pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you.
0: It's actually interesting how this, uh, this paper... Came to my attention. My, uh, I have a, a family member who is, who is, uh, who has a partner who is also in the psychology department and at the University of Waterloo, and uh, a colleague of yours, James. I believe.
2: Yeah, that's right, Colin uh, Allard. He's uh, um, in my department, and his uh, his partner is, is that your sister?
0: No, she is uh, my my wife's aunt.
2: Right. It's a, a very direct connection. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. That's but she, knows, she knows that we, we do this podcast and, that, and she read your book, the one that I mentioned in the introduction, and she, uh, she was quite taken with it. And she, she said that this is someone you definitely want to re- have on your, on your podcast because she, in her practice of endurance sports, gets quite bored uh, fairly frequently, I think. And, uh, and she, she thought it would be a natural fit. And then once I read the paper, I totally agree with her.
1: And reading this paper myself, I had a couple epiphanies about my own performance or lack of focus or lack of self-control, depending on how we define it. Uh, just uh, it's it's very interesting to read. And I've found so many parallels with my own history.
2: That's great. I mean, I think that the, uh, the boredom in sports and self-control is really Vanya's wheelhouse. Um, and I think I avoid endurance sports because uh, because of boredom. I, I stick to team sports instead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Awesome. So, uh, gentlemen, why don't we start with uh, with some definitions so that we can uh, we can give our listeners the you know the context that they need to follow along with the discussion? So, the two terms that that you folks are going to hear quite a bit in this conversation are obviously boredom and also self-control so um self-control is is more in vanya's wheelhouse and boredom maybe in james so if uh if we can get each of the each of the each of our guests to define their own specific terms that would be awesome so vanya why don't we start with you and uh self-control
3: all right so self-control um it's sometimes you also just in a normal language you would say willpower it's pretty closely related um and this refers to um the efforts people exert when they want to um Mm simulate a desirable response or inhibit an undesirable response. So, for example, when you're running and you really feel that you you want to go slower because it's very hard, uh, you will apply self-control to still keep going, although you you are kind of um, have the impulse to stop. And also you need self-control when you want to initiate an action, when you, for example, want to get going and go out training and you have to kind of force yourself or will yourself outside. So it's a very adaptive um, capacity humans have.
1: And there's some sort of cost to this, right? There's a, a mental cost or an energetic cost for willing yourself to do something.
3: Yeah. I mean it's also part of the definition already, really, because it, it refers to to the amount of effort or to the effort people um apply to a certain goal and Effort in its nature feels quite effortful. <laughs> and um, so um, and people generally try to avoid effort because yeah, it feels aversive. And you, if you if you can pick between two tasks, people tend to pick the less effortful tasks on average. And so applying control comes at this cost of producing a sensation of effort. Why this sensation occurs, there's a lot of debate around that. Um, but most would agree that it applying control feels effortful. And therefore, we have to really carefully weigh how much effort we want to apply towards certain goals or actions, because we always have to also incur the cost of effort.
1: And I know taking a page out of my very, very long university career, which is stretching 18 years currently, uh, the, the act of going through an exam, um, for example, that, that focus and that self-control that you're forcing on yourself, when you come out of an exam, I've never felt so tired uh, even though I'm physically not doing anything, it's just that mental focus has taken so much out of me that it's, uh, it's incredible really.
3: Exactly. It did feel exhausting. Yeah.
0: It, it creates of fatigue. Hmm.
1: Okay. And then, uh, what about boredom, James?
2: Yeah. So the quote I like most when I want to try and define boredom for people comes from Leo Tolstoy, where he describes boredom as the desire for desires. <laughs> so when you're in the moment of, of feeling bored, you sort of, you want something. You want to be doing something that, you know, you deem meaningful or of value to you. But the problem or the conundrum of boredom is that you feel that sensation of wanting to be engaged in something, but you don't want anything that's currently in front of you. So there's that sort of tension between needing to be doing something, but just not wanting anything that's easily available or or at hand. And so uh, another way of describing boredom is to say there's an uncomfortable feeling of an unmet desire to be engaged in the world.
0: I read in your paper too that there is a, it's a desire for change, right? It's a desire to to be doing something something different.
2: Well, ultimately, uh, you know, when Vanya is talking about costs of self-control, um, there's a, a, a notion that we get from behavioral economics called opportunity costs. That is that everything that you do comes with a cost, right? Any action that you engage in has the cost that you could be doing something better, mm-hmm. right? And the easy example is you've got to sit down sometime sooner do your taxes. And you know, that <laughs> comes with the cost that there's any number of more enjoyable things that you could be doing than your taxes. But you've got to exert self-control to buckle down and do the taxes. So it's not just that boredom is pushing you to change, it's signaling for you that what's happening right now, what you're doing right now, is incurring a high opportunity cost? What you're doing right now isn't meaningful enough, isn't valued enough by you, so you you are pushed to act, you're pushed to do something different to change. Um, but the signal itself isn't about change. it's just about the fact that whatever you're doing right now isn't satisfying you in some important way.
0: Ah, interesting. All right, so let's get into some of the research that you that you folks were engaged in and uh, and how that ties self-control and boredom together. Uh so Vanya, I'll kick this over to you. There is uh an, a part of your of the paper that you sent to us that talked about low cost versus high cost pre-training interventions, and uh, you were trying to assess what the the effect would be on the the tasks that would be performed after those interventions. So can you take us through that and uh and what the findings show? Um
3: yeah, so in, in, in self-control research, there's a large tradition of um, trying to assess the effect of having to exert self-control towards one task. How this carries over to performance in a secondary task that also requires self-control. And to assess this, researchers usually have groups of people compile I am complete either a task that is very high-control demanding, so a, a very complex counter task, for example. And then another group does a low control demanding task, which is usually quite similar in terms of how it looks like, but that the task is easier to to, to perform. And then you look at how this prior mental exertion or this prior exertion of self-control towards a high control task, how this affects performance in your next task. And there was a lot of evidence showing that having exerted control in a high control demanding task will impair performance in a subsequent task. And there's also but a lot of the debate of how this effect comes about and how robust it actually is, and this has also been found in in endurance sports or general in the sports domain. So you have people doing a high control demanding cognitive task, and then you look how good they are, for example, in a time trial mm-hmm. on a bike. And then you, there's a lot of research showing that people who have performed the high control demanding task actually perform worse um, in the time trial than those who have performed the low control demanding task. But the, the findings of this, they are quite heterogeneous, and um, sometimes this effect occurs, sometimes it doesn't. Um, for some people, it doesn't occur at all. For example, professional athletes seem to be relatively robust against these effects, hmm. or if people are asked to perform a secondary task in the sports domain that is something that they actually like, this effect seems also to be, to be quite smaller. So it's not very, very clear how prior self-control exertion impairs subsequent sports performance. But, but there's a lot of research trying to investigate
0: that. I want to ask a little follow-up just to give, uh, again, a little bit more context for our listeners. These uh, high and low uh, control demanding tasks. Can you give us an example? Obviously, you're not making someone write a four-hour engineering exam like in, like in Andrew's case. What are, what are some of the, uh, the tasks that you actually have them perform? Well,
3: I think that would still be quite a good task, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very often we you, you use, or others use, a uh, computerized um, tasks, for example, the Stroop task, a task where you have to categorize words um, according to the color they are printed in, but sometimes the color um, of the font and the meaning of the words are mismatched, so making this a bit harder, mm-hmm. and this um, requires self-control because you um, have to follow a certain categorization rule, and the longer you do this task, the idea would be that the more self-control demanding that this is, but the problem is that if you... Learn this task is might actually get quite easy hmm. but um, it might get quite boring <laughs> as well
0: <laughs> so this yeah, I think you 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 had a perfect segue there uh, in your paper you suggest that uh, that boredom can actually obfuscate these results and by that i'll I'll explain what I mean that sometimes your uh, your expected results from a low uh, c- low control task would actually have a lower performance on the subsequent endurance Task that you you have the individual perform, and you, you you think that there could be a role that boredom plays in that, and uh, maybe James, can you help us understand that?
2: Right. Well, so uh, it's a con- is what we call a confound, I guess. So that when you're trying to control these things in psychological experiments, you sort of try and isolate one variable. In this instance, we're trying to isolate self control, but if you have some other variable, boredom, that is also at play, then your results have become very difficult to interpret, and so you know, you, you might see a consequence of being bored in a low control condition. So the kind of Stroop task that Vanya was talking about, if we make it easy, so you're trying to name color words, um, but they're printed in the same color as the word. So you see the word red and it's in red ink. That's a very easy task. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very, very boring. And we make you do it for a long time. You do lots and lots of trials of it because this is how we do psychological experiments. They're actually really fantastic boredom induces. Um, and so it makes it very difficult to tell whether or not the effects that you see are because of uh, differences in, in the amount of self-control you, you asked a person to exert or whether or not they're because of differences in how boring the task was. Um, and so, you know, you, it's, and if you can't disambiguate those kinds of things, then all of the experiments that you're looking at, all of the data that you're looking at is sort of contaminated in some way.
1: That's, uh, from my perspective, that's the one thing that makes a lot of engineering experiments easier, is you don't have to worry about uh, the the squishy, brain-powered people that uh, that are sometimes difficult to predict and have different reactions than you'd expect. So it's it's a very challenging field to research, I'm sure. I think this
0: has a very clear application to endurance training, because uh, a lot of the research in physiology supports the efficacy of sub-aerobic threshold training, and Andrew and I have covered this quite a bit on the podcast with the various experts we've had on, you know, doing the majority, the vast majority sometimes of your training volume at very easy intensities is very beneficial for endurance performance. I think that's, that's been kind of put to bed, but the, the difficulty is that that is boring, you know, going for very easy runs, very easy rides. It tends to be not a very exciting or not as exciting perhaps as an interval workout. And so this has very, very clear application to, uh, to endurance sports. Well, Vanya, in your own personal experience as a as a cyclist, um, how do you how do you think about this kind of stuff when you're when you're out there training? Now that you that you have this uh, this inside look as to what may be happening in your brain. Well,
3: I mean, I think um, the the low the sub threshold training um, training exercise. I think they gave me the idea to become interested in, in boredom in the first place. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As as James says, bottom is a signal that is is quite important to to people. And it kind of helped me to find something as a research topic that I find actually incredibly interesting. (laughs) um, But um, when when I train, um, and I I really don't like these these, um, low low effort, low um, sub-threshold, long long things. So ideally, in cycling, you can do this with friends. You can talk or you can kind of just enrich your experience in a way that it's not all about the, the, the effort. Of the training that you're doing, but also about other things that you can do and then that, that, that make the experience more enjoyable. I don't have to go. Um, if I do a, an interval session, I don't really need to go with someone because I cannot talk anyway. Yep. Um, whereas on a sub threshold, I you, you try to kind of enrich your experience in a way that you have probably other things other that, that it's still very rewarding to be out for, for a couple of hours.
2: My wife has a, a good trick for this kind of stuff. So she's a runner. I um uh, I don't, but she does. And I think what the key point for me is that when you're doing something that doesn't occupy, occupy your mind fully, then that's what makes it boring because, you know, to, to be engaged in something is to fully occupy your cognitive resources, to fully occupy your mind. Hmm. So what she does is that she runs with a, an app on her phone that tells a little story about how she's got to try and escape from zombies <laughs> and so she's sort of running around She's got to, she's got to pick up you know things. It's, it's it's tailored to to her as well. You know some of the objects she has to pick up is something, you know sometimes she has to pick up a sports bra because that's relevant to running for a woman. So yeah, she picks up things. If she's if she if she slows down in her pace, she loses items that she picked up. I I don't think she ever gets eaten by a zombie, but you know, it's this thing that occupies her mind while she's doing this relatively boring physical task.
1: And in my own experience, I've used Netflix to alleviate some of that boredom. So I'd, uh, for example, having to do a four-hour ride, a subthreshold ride, that that is painful in the sense that your mind just. It it has so much trouble dealing with that. the The exercise itself isn't that difficult. <clears throat> After four hours, it gets a little bit tough, but uh, yeah, it's it's more of a psychological limit, I find. But um, another example from my own or tangential experience is a colleague of mine, Art Hare, who's been a previous uh, guest on the the podcast. He would often tell me that when he was doing a 20- or 30-minute interval, he would get bored. Um, And then he got a heart rate monitor, and he found that uh, his heart rate was actually increasing to quite a high level, above 170 beats per minute, and that this boredom actually corresponded with fatigue, and he wasn't actually able to dissociate it in his mind. He just thought he was getting bored. Um, He could still turn the pedals, but just didn't want to anymore.
0: Yeah, this is something that, that you folks covered in the paper that boredom can occur in. You know, in my example and what, what we just spoke about in the what you call under challenging. Tasks where you're not sufficiently engaged, as James put it, and then in in, in arts example, in Andrew's example of art, rather in over challenging tasks. So, Vanya, can you talk about that as well? Like when you are doing something that's that's quite difficult that has that carries with it a, a high level of arousal, where how boredom can still play a role. Because that when I read that, that to me came as a surprise. Because I assume that if I am you know hyper aroused, that boredom is the furthest thing from my mind. But that turns out not to be the case for some people.
3: Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily. So boredom is typically associated with very low arousal and um, under-challenging situations. But in sports, not only in endurance sports, in, in many sports you can be facing situations that are so over-challenging or so challenging that it, um, that it might also be very, very hard to fully engage with them. For example, if you're asked to do some, um, some volleyball serve in a way that you will not manage anyway, where you always always fail or also having a very, very high effort um, a cycling task which which can be just too hard, um, too hard for you. We we have um, data in a study where we had people do a step test on on a, on a cycling ergometer until exhaustion, and a significant proportion of people reported to be bored doing the step test or doing a rep test. Which is for me that was quite inconceivable, but for some it appeared to occur in the end that it, it was just maybe time was getting longer, conditioned, it, it was harder and harder, and um yeah you have nothing to do with your your mind except for focusing maybe on the effort which is maybe not the most enjoyable or most rewarding thing if you don't genuinely like effort
0: (laughs) yeah no uh, we my mind immediately went to time trials too especially cycling time trials we've uh we've had a few guests on our show who are world-class time trialists uh most recently uh martin top madsen who holds the danish hour record and then we've also had dan bingham on the show who is uh who holds the, the UKC level record and is going for the, the absolute world record, I believe in April. Andrew, he just sent me a note about that. Oh, wow. So good luck to him if we don't talk to him before then. Uh, but he mentioned, uh, and I hope I'm not putting him on the spot. I don't think I am. But he mentioned that the last time he was doing a test run, he ran into uh, a mental roadblock, which is very common in the hour time trial. Um, listeners, probably if you're listening to the show, you know, all about our time trials, but basically you're trying to ride as far as humanly possible on the track in 60 minutes and zero seconds and, uh, and break the record if you're, if you're, you know, in that stratum, but the mental game is incredibly important, uh, along with all the aerodynamic and, and, and physiological considerations. And this would be very much a high, a high arousal uh, situation. I'm not sure if he's getting bored, and it's
3: it's not super unlikely that he gets bored. I think because in in the, t- especially in the hour record, you don't have many degrees of freedom. You cannot start playing around with your pacing or with your position too much because you have to be in the same tested position and produce exactly the same seconds rounds. So I think you don't have much that you can actually change behaviorally when you're doing it.
0: But I wonder if that could still be boring, right? If you're if we if I'm you know extending the uh or if I'm following the the definition because you don't have a lot of things that you can vary and a lot of you, there are things to pay attention to. Sure. But, uh, it's, it's the same thing and it's an uncomfortable same thing for quite an extended period of time. James, what do you think?
2: Well, actually what you're making me think of is a state that, uh, I think probably many sports people will talk about that. Some people will think of as a, as a kind of opposite of boredom and it's this notion of flow. Hmm. Um, and so uh, a lot of athletes will talk about being in the zone, um, but the, the state of the experience of flow has a lot of different components to it um, but and, and what people describe when they're in a state of flow is that the, you know their focus their concentration is so extreme that everything else just falls away but the component that you're making me think about right now is that for flow to occur you have to have fairly constant feedback that you're making progress towards your goal right you have to sort of see that things are uh, evolving the way that you hope them to evolve. Hmm. Whereas if you're doing some sort of, you know, it's a high arousal, um, or high uh, uh, technique sort of physical activity, you might not be getting that feedback immediately. So particularly with something like training, I don't know about time trials, but something like training, you know, the payoff might be months away, you you have to keep training every day for weeks and months, and and then you see that your times get better, that your your skills improve. And so I think you, you can be in those high arousal Um, physical situations, but you can absolutely be bored because you're not really seeing any progress towards your goal. Um, it's, it's, It's not easily tangible to see that you're making progress.
0: Yeah, I imagine in an hour time trial, because you do get feedback every lap, every lap of the track you complete, you're, you know, you're giving your lap split and you know how much time is left on your, in your experience. So I think the only feedback there is, you know, you're on, you're on target, uh, and you have one fewer laps to ride <laughs> towards your, towards your goal. So it's almost like, you know, just, tr- just, just working towards the, uh, that, that end. Uh, that's the feedback there, but your, your point on feedback is, uh, is incredibly well taken because, um as you know, in my capacity as a coach, this is something that I see, uh, my, the, the, folks that I work with ask for quite a bit is, is ask for feedback on how they're progressing, how they're doing. Are they improving? Are they getting stronger and faster? And that, uh, you know, I always just, I never, I never gave it too much thought about, about why they're asking for this other than maybe validation. But, uh, it makes sense that if, uh, if boredom is at play or, um, yeah, if boredom is a play, that this would be that that feedback would be something that they could use to alleviate that and uh, maintain their ability to focus on the on the ultimate goal.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this story you told earlier about uh, art, I guess, um, was that you know, as soon as you get a heart rate monitor, mm-hmm. now you've got that feedback, and you can do something with it. You can use it, and and so. It,
1: feedback is important uh so if we take it to maybe one of the other extremes though i wonder in the short term uh how how boredom can play a role or how maybe the same psychological processes so for example if you're doing a very short intense interval um where time seems to drag on and just slow down because i know i've been in these intervals where i look away from the timer for what feels like five minutes and i look back and two seconds have passed um, and and maybe I'm able to keep my legs moving, but I just lose the, the willpower to do that and sometimes back out because it feels like I'm never going to get to my goal. So is that kind of a state of boredom or is that something that might be a little bit different?
2: Time is a key component of boredom. And we, there's been many demonstrations that when you get bored or when you make people bored, that, that indeed people say that time drags, right? Um, and I think just from a phenomenological point of view, how it feels—boredom feels like time is dragging. So, absolutely, when you know, uh, um, when you're in that situation that you just described, if you're feeling like—and and this sort of loops back to feedback, right? If you're feeling like things are taking longer than they ought to, um, then you know you, you're you're getting feedback, but you're getting feedback that things are not going well, and so yeah, that that will um, that will trigger boredom for sure.
1: Yes, so it, it is very interesting though, because it's not something you would normally associate with boredom. Just that uh, the shorter duration events, but but certainly my mind does wander, and it just it becomes difficult for its uh, for its own specific challenges.
2: Yeah, if I go back to to boredom as you know a, a signal that you're disengaged, you're not you're not engaged in the, whatever the task is that you've got or whatever the, the sort of environment is that, that's around you, um, then it, it doesn't really matter. How long you've been doing that thing? What matters is that you're not focusing your attention, Mm. and and you just said your mind begins to wander, and we've shown in a number of different studies that um, the tendency to mind wander is associated with being prone to boredom. So there's different kinds of mind wandering. Some mind wandering is good, um, but this sort of uh, mind wandering that we're talking about is when you. You know that you should be focusing on a task, but somehow your mind just drifts off and starts thinking about something else and then at some point you catch yourself and think, oh, damn, I was supposed to be focused on this and I'm not. That kind of mind wandering is associated with being prone to boredom. And, you know, if we bring it back to to self-control where we started, um, self-control is that, you know, one key sort of facet of self-control is that ability to focus the mind, to focus your attention on the task that you have at hand. So all of it sort of is... is, uh, connected I
0: guess that's uh, that's a really interesting point about mind wander and I want to get back to it when we start talking about you know useful interventions for trying to defeat boredom as much as we can but uh, before we do that I just want to uh, mention uh, another uh, another training variable in high intensity interval training, for example, there are two very kind of very broad categories of, uh, of interval types. There's the, you know, the, the hit short intervals, which are fairly common. Um, and that's where, you know, the interval duration is, is less than 60 seconds. And then the long intervals where, you know, the intervals are longer than 60 seconds. And uh, in my experience with uh, with recreational athletes, I have much, much higher compliance with the short intervals with, you know, the usual, uh, the most common format would be 30 on, 30 off for uh, some, some set duration. And, uh, you know, anecdotally, I saw much higher compliance. Personally, I enjoyed them a lot more than doing the long version. And uh, I didn't really give it too much thought other than, you know, I would just kind of lump them as being less cognitively demanding. That was my my theory without digging too much into it. But I'm wondering now if uh, if boredom plays a large part that if it's it's that it's it's so much easier to focus on an interval that, you know, will be over in 30 seconds, even though if you, even though you have to repeat it a bunch of times after only a 30 second rest, than on an interval, that's uh, that's two or three minutes in duration. Uh, I remember participating in a study uh with a physiologist out of U of T who had me do a ramp test to determine my maximal aerobic power. And then he was he was trying to to determine what the optimal training um training protocol for for increasing power of VO2 max. And he was using long intervals with me. And he was trying to get me to do you know four by four minutes, which is a classic workout. Four by four minutes at my power of VO two max. I couldn't do it. There's, I I could not get my whip myself up into the state where I could do four four by four minutes at power of VO two max. Um, but I could go. Well, I don't. I can't say all day, but I could go for quite a bit of time if I was to break them up into even even something like 30-15s, where thirty was uh, at power of VO two max or even higher, with only fifteen second recoveries, and I could cu- accumulate a ton of volume a ton of training volume um, at that power but I couldn't do it four minutes in a row, just no no matter how hard I tried. Uh, so now it's it's good to have a little bit more context into that and see that maybe I was just bored. I wasn't sufficiently focused or maybe sufficiently motivated to to get those to get those done.
3: For me it's a little bit the opposite and then in terms of sports we don't really know this yet because we don't have so many studies that have checked how one develops over an um, exercise task. But I think the the personal fit of a of the training you do and the demand sustaining puts on you, they are, they will they definitely affect um, the boredom you experience or the self-control demands you perceive when you have to do that. For example, for me, the the, the 30 seconds, they are much harder because I, huh. yeah, I just hate, I just hate them. And, um, what I also don't like is a sweet spot um, interval, which is because this spot is not that sweet, I think. It's, just, <laughs> yeah.
0: it's such a misnomer. Yeah. It's such a terrible name for what that training is like, feels yeah. like.
3: And so that I, if, in terms of I'm not feeling I get, I'm getting HMAS as much sense, um, in terms of progress, but also in terms of how it feels. It doesn't feel like I did a really, really great training. And therefore, it's very hard for me to follow a, a sweet spot training um, program. Whereas, Doing five minutes of um, above threshold, I actually like that a lot because I think they they really remind me of the duration of the climbs I'm doing out um, in, in my area. So they, they matter a lot. They have a lot of meaning huh. because it's I will be improving on my personal bests over here, and so they are already the same distance or, or the duration. So I think that's important that they, they, they the the training session fits quite well to what I believe is very important, and therefore I think it's easier to me for me the opportunity costs as well are not that high
2: the the key the key thing that I think uh, Vanya is touching on there is meaning, mm-hmm. right? Like so, the the type of training that he's talking about matters to him, and it and it and it you know has a real connection to, to real rides, and and so it, it matters. The thing I was thinking about while you guys are talking about this, because all of this terminology is jargon to me. It's foreign. I don't I don't do this kind of stuff. <laughs> um but but it made me think about rumination so one of the things that's starting to show up in research of on boredom is that um people when they're bored they tend to be ruminating on the fact that they're bored you know so if you think about your little kids when they tell you that they're bored they've got a soundtrack in their head and that soundtrack is saying i'm bored i'm bored i'm bored i'm bored and they can't get out of that that kind of loop i think that in in some training senses um you can ruminate on the things that are unpleasant about the training that you're doing, totally, and that can start to feel boring or less meaningful because you're you're ruminating on the pain in in your your muscles, or you're ruminating on the fact that it's still got three minutes to go, or whatever it is, and so that that kind of ruminating thought is probably not conducive to to you know persisting with the activity.
1: So this may take a step forward into the interventions, but I know that when I'm doing an interval at, say, 90% of my threshold power, um, that's very difficult to complete when I'm just looking at, okay, hold this wattage, keep your legs turning. However, if I'm doing some kind of online race where there's this cognitive engagement where... I'm trying to beat someone, there's this external motivation, or I'm trying to hold on to you know, a virtual pack of cyclists in, in Zwift or, or whatever platform I'm using, I find it much, much easier to set my 20-minute power uh, PBs compared to just focusing on must keep this interval going. So for me, it's just absolutely fascinating how much better you can perform when you're given the proper motivation, when you're given the proper focus, uh, and you're not, not allowing yourself to, to become bored and to become tired of that exercise but these
3: swift for example is for me is also i'm so little bored if i can say that during the race that when i try to do a swift race and don't want to kind of really kill myself i always fail because i'm getting so stuck <laughs> in it um, so i have no chance to to have to be bored and, the, and, the, and so yeah, i'm probably more than going to, towards flow then um, because it's so engaging and it's so meaningful for me that i want to follow the, the pixels in front of me because they have one second advantage already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also had to plan to do it a little differently. I'm actually, so it's just too little boredom probably there. The
2: Nintendo Wii was the first thing that figured that out years and years ago, right? Like you can get people to sort of um, run up and down on the spot on a little balance board so long as there's some cartoon character that they're, that they're powering on the screen. Right, it's, it seems ridiculous, but it's enough engagement. That's a
1: really good point, and I think that uh, people are always craving that extra engagement with uh, with whatever they're doing. So, if it's you know just playing at home on video games, for example, we've seen a lot of different video game systems attempt things along the lines of the Nintendo Wii or Microsoft had their Kinect, um, and they've been difficult, non traditional ways of interacting. But it's certainly something pretty novel to look at, and there's. Some some parts of that that are quite fun.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's some very smart behavioral psychologists developing those those platforms to make them as uh, as engaging as as possible. Uh, but yeah, to the point of, of Zwift and Vanya, I, I I feel exactly the same. I cannot do endurance rides if I'm unless I do a, a structured workout. Like if I if I know that I want to do an endurance ride, I have to plug in a structured workout, turn on erg mode where. You know, for listeners, probably most of you are familiar. But basically, it's where where the smart trainer controls your power, and you're not allowed. You you have no more agency there, uh, because if I'm trying to do an endurance ride and I'm doing a, a Zwift meetup or or a race, forget it. I'm I'm with those people too, um, and uh, with with some of the folks I work with, I for, I forbid them from doing Zwift events when we're when the goal is is easy endurance. I'm like, nope, you have to do this workout. You cannot do an an, uh, <laughs> an unstructured ride for this one in Zwift. Exactly, Yeah, same, same for me. Michael, you
2: just used a word there that I think is really important in all of this too. You just used the word agency, right? So um, I, I think when you're bored, one of the things that makes it feel so uncomfortable is that you, you feel like you ha- don't have much agency, huh. right? You, you want something but you're not satisfying that desire, you're not, you're not launching into an action and you're not being a very effective you know, human being and that, and that lack of efficacy and that lack of agency is what makes boredom feel so uncomfortable. So it's interesting that
0: you use that word. Makes sense. So uh gents we've kind of danced around uh you know interventions whether it's be it be swift rides or or a couple of other things we mentioned but I want to specifically focus on this next because we've clearly established that uh you know at least most of us like endurance training, or we 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 see some value in endurance training. Um, and or we
1: pretend to like that. pretend <laughs> to
0: like it. Yes, and certainly our listeners uh, like it or pretend to like it. And uh, we we've all agreed that there have been times where we've been bored doing it. So what can we do? Uh, what can uh, how can research help us be less bored and you know engage with our training more and potentially get more out of it? The sixty four thousand dollar question. I mean. Um, <laughs> right well this is why this is why you guys are the experts in the room so we're gonna we're gonna kick it off to you I, I, I um,
2: so you you guys might not know this but this is actually the first time Vanya and I've met face to face despite the fact that we've published together he was kind enough to bring me in on that paper I am going to now throw him under the bus and say it's your question to answer <laughs> <laughs> I, I so because there's, there's, I always get asked this what are we gonna do to fix boredom right how do you how do you overcome boredom? Um, And you're asking a more specific question than that. You're saying, how are we going to overcome boredom in things like endurance training or in in performance sports? And the shortest answer is, I don't know, because we haven't done the work yet. So we don't really have good intervention data to say, this is what you should do. But we just touched on that notion of agency. And one of the things that I think is going to be important in this, and and earlier on, Vanya was talking about meaning in in the exercises that he engaged in. One of the things that's going to be important is that whatever you do to overcome your boredom, it's going to have to engage your agency. So you're going to have to feel like you're the one that's in control and it's going to have to be meaningful to you. So that's why it's difficult to sort of just give you an easy answer because what works for you won't necessarily work for everyone else. What, what is meaningful and agentic for you will be different um, for, for different athletes.
0: Okay, let me rephrase my question then I, because I first of all I love that answer I think I actually really like I don't know answers because I think uh, I I don't know I just naturally they sound a little bit more honest because usually they, <laughs> there are so many things that we don't know the answers to um, but let's let me rephrase rather than than asking for a solution to boredom how about a, um, a process for discovering your own individual solutions to boredom and feel free to, to you know use anecdotal stuff, do things, uh, share stories that have worked for you specifically, because maybe that, you know, we are all, of course, unique and different, but we are also, we also share a lot of similarities. So maybe something that has worked for you, maybe a stepping stone for one of our listeners in their own path to at least alleviating some of their boredom.
3: To be honest, I think that the um, the, 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 the private sector with e-racing the, e- 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 and these kind of platforms, they have actually really overtaken a lot of um, the ideas that we have in, in academia because if you remember back 10 years ago when, when, when indoor training was the most horrible thing in the world and now people are <laughs> doing, doing indoor training in summer. And I've even um, read about people who have now ventured to ride outside after they got and um, fell in love with cycling and during online bike racing. So I, I think it's just um, the, the, the offer um, to cater to to the to the different demands people have, and with a lot of control of when they do that and how they do this, it already shows that, especially in this domain of endurance sports, there um, it's it's definitely less boring for most people to, to to do these kind of things. And then if you look at something like Swift, which has the social aspect and the competitive aspect, and you can really get your meaning um, these kind of things um, from the environment that has been created, I think this is already kind of a a big uh, sort of an answer because I think that this is probably has gotten a lot of people to do bike rides in in winter, which mm-hmm. who had struggled before that. So um, yeah, creating opportunities that are easy for people to access to to to, um, to engage in, in in meaningful exercise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it extends to outdoor as well. Uh, You know, you can do, you can do group training, you know, provided it's safe in, in this time of COVID, uh, with, with your friends and, you know, the weather's reasonable. I find, you know, before Zwift, before e-racing and, and training together electronically, the classic example would have been, you know, group rides, or if you're, if you're looking for intensity, you know, track runs, right. Yeah. I've, uh, personally and in my coaching practice i've seen people go far deeper in a in a hard track session than they could ever do on their own because of that group training effect so yeah i take that i take that point yep
2: yeah i think i'd agree with Vanya that the the private sector is probably you know streaks ahead of us in terms of figuring out ways to make people engaged while they're doing this kind of thing um but but uh the uh, the other thing that i think that you raised michael is that the the first thing you need to do before you can deal with your boredom is recognize it so i think that you need to sort of figure out okay what is this thing that i'm feeling right now is oh, it boredom and then try not to outrun it right because i think what our tendency is when we feel bored is to immediately try and escape from it but i would suggest don't try and escape from hmm. it try and figure out why um and, you know you guys have talked about different kinds of interval training and vanya liked one type and you liked a different type well when you feel that that boredom in your training, sort of think about, well, why? Oh, it's because I'm doing this for 30 seconds instead of three minutes. All right, well, can I do? Uh, can I either reframe the way I'm thinking about the 30 seconds and and make it meaningful in some way? Or can I find some other activity to do that that is more engaging than the 30-second stuff? So it's, you, you you can't deal with boredom if you sort of, it goes back to the story of your your friend Art and his heart rate monitor. You know, you can't, Deal with the feeling that you're having if you don't recognize it in the first place. So recognize that you're bored. Figure out why this particular circumstance seems boring to you, and then that will sort of perhaps lead you to a solution.
1: It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's very difficult to do that uh, that self that step of self awareness. But uh, I think there's with enough introspection, I think that people can come up with a good solution for how to combat them, uh, combat that problem with themselves. In at athletes,
3: I mean, we tend to. Um, very st- tough on, 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 on the sensations we have for example the it's it's effort you put through it and boredom bottom is you ignore it so so much in terms of how you approach it whereas it's 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 um it's a strong and and, and powerful thing that's trying to tell you something and so i i, I couldn't agree more with, with james that it's, it's really important to recognize and to acknowledge that this is not just something that you squash like uh, the pain in your knee or something which you should, probably shouldn't also squash, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's something that you probably should really take seriously to 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 get better at what you do or to enjoy it more because it's 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 really yeah it tells you something.
0: Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. I think that it's uh, you know embracing it and understanding it is uh, as as James said it's it's the first step because it's not something that like it or not it's something that we you know evolved to have as a as, as a psychological response. And uh, and we're going to keep having it because it's, it's, you know, it's our mind trying to tell us something. So tuning it out can only go so far. You can only be stubborn, no matter how much willpower you have, eventually you're going to run out of it. And uh, it makes sense to be able to embrace it and deal with it. Uh, That's an excellent point. James, I want to get back to, because I promised we would, to mind wandering. Uh, This is something that you talked about maybe 20 minutes ago. And uh, in your paper, you mentioned that there is a technique of deliberate mind wandering that can help in alleviating boredom. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Right, so there's different kinds of mind wandering, and um, uh, my colleague Dan Similac talks about uh, spontaneous and deliberate. And so, spontaneous is where you know you're try- trying to perform some sort of task, but your mind just drifts off onto something else, and that uh, is generally sort of felt as an unpleasant experience because you know you you kind of recognise that you're not focusing in the way that you would like to. Mm-hmm. But deliberate mind wandering is more that you intentionally allow your mind to wander. So think about things like you know you're walking to work or something and you, you think, well, what would I do if I won the lottery? Or, you know, well, what would I do uh, if I were prime minister? I'm, I'm outing myself as these are the kinds of uh, uh, daydreams and and uh, mind-wandering, deliberate mind-wandering that I engage. <laughs>
0: um,
2: and and that, that actually can be a solution to boredom in some sense, right? I mean, because I've got about a four-kilometre walk to work each day and it's a, it's, there's nothing really interesting about it. So, you know, you occupy your mind with some of these kinds of you know, meandering thoughts, um, and and you know, it, it really is just about. You know, it, it, this this could be. Um, I could bring this back to sports in some sort of sense. When you're walking, you're not really using much of your cognitive resources, right? When you're walking um, walking to work, it's it's not a tough task, you know. So uh, if I don't do something like daydream or deliberately mind wander then I'm running the risk of being bored because I'm not occupying my cognitive resources, right? Hmm. Um, and so, again, if you're doing some sort of sport that so, uh, or some sort of training exercise that's a monotonous training exercise, you could allow yourself to deliberately mind-wander. I would suspect that in sports and training, deliberately mind-wandering would not be ideal because it might deal with your boredom, but then it takes your focus away from your training as well, right, and that's not ideal.
0: It might be though for the, for the, the easy aerobic stuff that Vanya and I spoke about where you're, you, you know, the, the goal of the session, especially if you're a long course endurance athlete and you have to do, sometimes you have to do four, five, six, seven hour training sessions. That's, that's kind of part of it. And most of it is done at very low intensity and uh, boredom is never very far away. So I think deliberate mind wandering in those cases could actually be quite a useful tool. Now, would you, would you target it at something that is related to the activity or do you want it to be completely divorced from what you're doing? What, what do you think is more effective? Well, so mine, the, the, the title of this, this
2: phenomenon, Mind Wandering, is that you allow it to sort <laughs> okay. of meander, right? You allow it to sort of drift from one thought to the next. I might start um, my walk to work thinking about what I'd do if I was prime minister, but I almost certainly won't end there. There'll be some other kind of thought that I drift onto. Um, and and that that can also be beneficial you know you you might drift onto thoughts that are not daydreams but are are actually trying to work through challenges that you have at work or problems that you're having in relationships or something like that so that you're actually working through things that are important to you so I don't know that you can easily um, say I'm gonna I'm going to think about this right now and that's 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 more of a actually deliberate thought rather than a mind wander right Um, and so yeah, I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any
1: sort of structure to suggest that you should engage in. Fair point. As as a side note, I do find it fascinating the path your thoughts can sometimes take when you're allowing yourself that kind of that mind wandering, and you're not trying to control your direction of thoughts. Because it it is fascinating the connections you can make, and like you said, starting to think about prime minister and then end up thinking about, I don't know. Something completely unrelated. I was trying to think of a good, clever example, but I came up short on that. But uh, it's, it is it is really fascinating. You see, maybe it's some of the same phenomenon, but uh, with people going to YouTube or Wikipedia, for example, where they start on one topic and they find something interesting and just latch on to that and continue... Going down this rabbit hole and end up completely unrelated, but something they're still kind of interested in. And I, I personally see mind wandering as being similar to that. It may or may not be from a psychological standpoint, but it is very interesting to me.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah I think those those kinds of connections that you can make are fantastic. What you also make me think of as you're talking about that is that, you know, we are I, I think as as animals, as the human animal, we are driven to act. I, I think idleness of thought or idleness of physical action is not a pleasant state. I think, you know, you you might seek it out sometimes. You know, you might decide I'm going to relax today or I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to chill out or, you know, veg in front of Netflix or whatever. You might choose to do that at times. But our default setting is not idleness of thought or idleness of action. Our default setting is to be thinking and to be acting.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we've had on the show uh, maybe two months ago uh, a professor from Brunel who spoke on the role of music in exercise and specifically on how music can improve exercise. And he his uh, the the quote that really stuck in my head was that he he mentioned that music had a uh, small but reliable performance enhancing effect on endurance exercise, which I mean per- anecdotally I, I find to be very true. Uh, what about things like music and maybe at lower intensities, things like audiobooks books or, or, well, hey, podcast listeners um, <laughs> in in keeping our minds engaged and potentially staving off boredom uh, during these, you know, perhaps lower intensity training sessions, either either Vanya or James, what do you think of those interventions? I, mean, I think people just do them already,
3: uh, right? If you, if you, for example, on, on Zwift and you, you are watching Netflix on another screen or if you... If you yeah, pick your, your podcast for for your for your low intensity run, um, so so I think this probably makes a lot of sense. It just depends if this would mess up your training in terms of how focused you would need to be to do the training properly. And that's probably not the greatest idea to listen to something that completely occupies your attention because it's so interesting. Um, because in the end, you probably will also have to kind of worry about your running technique or, for example, um, well your your position on the bike that you don't kind of um, sit there in a bad position so I think people already use this like a lot um, but probably not in a really systematic fashion
2: and and I think um, it would be great to have some of the the studies you know done properly to sort of determine whether or not this is going to be beneficial to you which to my knowledge I don't know that there's been a lot of that work done and done well you know if you're doing a high intensity thing should you be listening to Nordic death metal or you know or some other kind of uh, music I don't know
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah nordic death metal for the vo2 max intervals for sure for sure that's plus one <laughs> um i think uh, it was interesting what what professor Kerry Georges uh talked about was that at a certain intensity you can't you you, you tune the music out you can hear some rhythm but there a lot of the like the melodic qualities and certainly the lyrics you, you can no longer pay attention to just because so much attention is used to you know just for for pure for motor drive um but uh, yeah, to your point, Vanya, you're right. People are already doing it, so we're not we're not splitting any atoms here by telling people to listen to music while they're training. And certainly, we we I'm gonna this is a, one of my drums that I like to beat. You don't want to be <laughs> listening to anything when you're riding your bike outside. That's not a that's a big safety thing. Not please don't do this, listeners. Gentlemen, thank you so much for this. This was a, a super interesting paper to read and I'm glad that we got the opportunity to you know, the, to ask our questions from the, from the research. And as you say, there's still a great deal of work to be done in, in understanding the role of boredom in, uh, in endurance performance. And I'm really stoked that there are you know smart folks like yourselves working on this. Thank you for uh, coming on and uh, sharing your understanding of the subject with us. It
2: was a pleasure to join you.
0: Yes, that's good. Thank you for the invite. Our pleasure. Listeners, as always, thank you very much for spending an hour of your time with us and, uh, and listening to us talk about things that interest us and hopefully interest you. Uh, if this was interesting, please do give us a uh, five-star rating and uh, write a little review on Apple Podcasts and uh, share the podcast with your friends. Thanks, everyone.